Yo soy la Malinche. My people called me Malincin, the Nepal. The Spaniards called me Doña Marina. I came to be known as Malinche, and Malinche came to mean traitor. They called me Chingada. Chingada. Ha! Chingada. Screwed. Of noble ancestry, for whatever that means. I was sold into slavery by my royal family so that my brother could get my inheritance. And then the omens began. A god, a new civilization, the downfall of our empire. And you came, my dear Hernan Cortez, to share your civilization, to play a god. And I began to dream. I saw and I acted. I saw our world, and I saw yours, and I saw another. And yes, I helped you against Emperor Montezuma, Zokoyotzin himself. I became interpreter, advisor, and lover. They could not imagine me dealing on a level with you. So they said I was raped used chingada chingada but i saw our world and your world and another no one else could see beyond one world none existed and you yourself cried the night the city burned and burned at your orders the most beautiful city on earth in flames you cried broken tears the night you saw your destruction. My homeland ached within me, but I saw another. Mother world, a world yet to be born, and our child was born, and I was immortalized Chingada. Years later, you took away my child, my sweet mestizo, new world child to raise them in your world. You still didn't see. You still didn't see. And history would call me Chingada. But Chingada I was not. Not tricked, not screwed, not traitor. For I was not traitor to myself. I saw a dream and I reached for it. Another world. La Raza. Poem La Malinche by Carmen da Foya, 1978. This is Monstras. and welcome to another episode of Monstras. Um, 
Welcome! Hi everybody. So in today's episode, we will be talking about La Malinche. Now we know she was a real person, however, we are interested in how she became a myth. So that's the aspect of La Malinche we're, we're going to be looking at. How did she become a bad word, a myth? And we'll touch a little bit on her relationship with La Llorona and other evil women. So should we take a minute to explain what a myth is, Brenda? Yes, definitely. So let's go into the myth. So myths can be defined as stories or legends that are used to explain events that cannot be explained otherwise. So they are also used to memorialize people and their historical actions. So in this case, myths are kind of a mixture of historical fact and uh, with added story elements that reshape it to fit changing times and places. So the Malinche is a myth or the Malinche myth is one that has shaped Mexican national identity. So the Malinche is really important in Mexican history. Super, super important. Yeah, she definitely is. So the research for this podcast had a lot of different forms than the other research we've done. Uh, so we had to look at a lot of academic sources. So we looked at an article that you found uh, by Pilar Godayol called Malincin la Malinche Dona Marina, rereading the myth of the treacherous translator. I love that title. Isn't it such a good title? Yeah. I saw it and I was like, well, I have to read this. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the behavior characteristics of a Malinche. What is a Malinche? Uh, (laughs) uh, I know some folks might be wondering why we consider La Malinche a monster and why we're talking about her in the podcast. Well, Brenda, have you heard about Malinchistas? So I've never heard of a Malinchista, but I have heard of La Malinche and her association or her very... Uh, varied past, I would say. So basically, from what I know, being a Malinche, or and in this case, a Malanchista, uh, has become synonymous with traitorous and unpatriotic people in Mexico. So if you're called a Malinchista, it's an insult. That means that you have betrayed one's country. So you're a traitor. Yeah, and one definition of malinchismo is this idea of you're giving up the native for the foreign. It's, it's another way to say sell out. Yeah, so it's something that in reading this and in researching this, I found really interesting because it's something that it's really common and something I've noticed with Latin Americans and maybe with Latinos uh, or people who people of Latin American descent who were raised in the U.S., this idea of the indigenous uh, being dirty and bad, it is an idea that exists in Latin America, like this idea of the indigenous people being either dead, like in the case of El Salvador, where I've researched and spoken to people who literally think all Native people are dead, which is not the case, mm-hmm. because I ended up talking to someone who was Native Salvadorian the same day <laughs> as I talked to someone who was denying that person's existence. Did you tell uh, them they should have been dead? Yeah, I know. I should have. I should have. But I think I think he knew. <laughs> I think he knew. He had gotten... This was a very famous uh, indigenous activist, and he actually had his house bombed at least three times. Oh, my God. So, uh, because he was a environmental activist down in El Salvador. Anyways... So this idea of the indigenous being 
also very dirty and bad is in direct contrast to North America, where you have people, especially white people, who proudly claim any indigeneity. So, like, any any little drop of Native Native heritage, white people are like, it's mine. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, mine, mine. You know? Like, mm-hmm. they're so into it. And I'm always like, okay, whatever. So, anyways, you know, for instance, one time I asked my mom if we were Mayan, and you should have seen her face, Orquidea. <laughs> she twisted it up like I was, like, sucking the life out of her. Like, she twisted up in disdain and in disgust. And she was like, oh, no. And so, to me, it's interesting to see what it means to be Mexican when using, you know, this word of, of, of Malinche. Because if it's not the indigenous people, then what are you being a traitor against? You know? Yeah. I think that's what's so interesting and so fascinating about the whole idea of Malinchista. Um, and it really goes back to the whole idea of how Mexicans are all mestizos. And I think that's where this is coming from, right? Like, we are native. We are white. We're a mix of everything. So, but that, but that means that, like, indigenous communities can be ignored, right? Because technically, we're also part of it, just not the bad part. So Jose Vasconcelos has this, had this theory, La Raza Cosmica, and what he said was we are, Mexicans are like, have the best parts of these different races, right? And of course, from the, mm-hmm. from the white European, it was the brains, because they were the smartest of all the races. And you put that all together and you have the Mexican. What this does, though, is it erases indigenous communities that are still living, and it completely erases their histories, right? So to be a Malinchista means you're turning your back on Mexico and its mestizo identity, not so much the indigenous. So that's really interesting. I'd never heard of uh, Jose Vasconcelos, right? Mm -hmm, Vasconcelos. What time period was he from? Like, Oh, 1920s, I want to say. I'm horrible with history. Okay, I, I just wanted to know if it was, like, contemporary or if it was, like, a little bit more in the past because that makes a bit more sense because I was just like, the Europeans were the brains. How dare you? It was, it was kind of insulting. It was like post-revolutionary Mexico. And so you see this love of light skin in Mexico and in the media. So look at any, you know, look at any media personality, telenovela or TV show, and none are really of indigenous origin. Like, I went down to Mexico mm-hmm. one time. Uh, this was a while ago with my friend Jaime. We went down there for his 30th birthday, me and another friend of mine. And we ended up, you know, I purposely was like, okay, let me look at the advertisements. Let me look at everything that's around, you know, the billboards, all that stuff. Not once did I see someone the same color as me. Yeah. And I'm not even that dark, okay? Like, (laughs) me and you are not that dark. Like, as my roommate kindly pointed out to me yesterday, she's like, because she's black, she's like, you're not even that dark. (laughs) And I was like, I I mean, we're we're dark for Latinos. We're darker, yes. We are not light-skinned Latinos, technically. Uh, So you would not see people that look like us. But we're still also not as dark as some Latinos would get that are not Afro-Latino. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's indigenous Latinos who look, who look more indigenous, who, who are, um, a little darker skinned. 
we're not even at that line quite frankly ish we're at that we're a little bit but not yeah. quite and i didn't even see people that match my skin tone you know let alone uh anyone darker so that is why you know celebrities like Laditza yalitza aparacio Apar is so uh, did i yeah. say it right okay uh she someone like that is so important because she's an actress you know and why she received so much uh hate from the mexican community community when she was nominated for the oscars there was all this drama and i was just like oh my god she's just someone who was a damn good actress mm -hmm. who happened to be indigenous and they were just up in arms what about was it the hate so, about? i don't remember reading that so they really just hated her for being indigenous just straight up i think i i think straight up it was just like because what else were they hate i don't even understand what the hate was from like i don't understand uh, from what i remember a lot of it was just hate directed towards her they were like there was some machinations uh, that were happening behind the scenes between some of the celebrities that came mm -hmm. out that was like against her and they were trying to like bring her down somehow just because, I don't know, maybe they felt threatened by yeah. her. I mean, she's just a natural born good actress yeah. and that's really rare. So anyways, uh, I wanted to touch on that because I thought the, I think a lot of people don't understand the weirdness that exists in Latin America regarding skin color. Mm -hmm. Even though we're all mixed, and be, I actually, because we're all mixed, I think racism takes a kind of different form in Latin America, and it's more based on skin tone and skin color and even your roots as opposed to really... No, you know, strike that. Never mind. Ignore no, that. But, but I do think it's even the idea of saying we're all mixed is part of the problem, right? Like, we're not all mixed and we're not all the same type of mixes. So by saying we're, we're all True. mixed, there's already this devaluing of certain parts in certain communities. And, you know, you erase the Afro-Latino, you erase the indigenous, you erase all these things because you're like, we're all mixed. So we're all the same. No. People are treated differently, you know. Some people's rights aren't being observed because because they look different, because they come from a different background, because their language is different. All these reasons in Latin America, yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so let's move on uh, and talk about her history. So, who is La Malinche, and what do we actually know about her life? Yeah, and I think, so La Malinche is a perfect example of this process of myth-making. Um, since she was a real historical figure whose given name was Malinali, but who was known by many other names, her life as a historical figure becomes memorialized through myth, right? Like a lot of people didn't even know that her name is not La Malinche. She didn't leave... Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. <laughs> she didn't leave behind a written <laughs> record. So everything we know about her is based on those around her, right? Like she didn't write a diary or anything that, that we know of. So those that were around her have reshaped her story and turned her into a myth that benefits them or benefits the way they see history. What we know of her life comes from the writings of men like Hernán Cortés, one of his soldiers who took part of the conquest, Bernal Díaz del Castillo. Uh, for example, del Castillo began writing a memoir, memoir 
about his life in 1527 called Historia Verdadera de la Conquista de la Nueva España, uh, and it was published around 1632. So that's one of the main documents that talks about La Malinche, but not from her perspective. Yes. Yeah, nothing. That was the interesting thing in trying to research uh, her story is that nothing is written from her perspective. And I think a lot of indigenous stories are not written from their perspective, or at last, at least a lot of them have been lost to time, which is sad. But part of that is all reflected in the names that she had. So, so Mali, Malinali, Malinsin. Malincin? Did I say that right? Malincin? Malinche and Doña Maria. So, Doña Marina. So, she was actually nicknamed... This I thought this was super interesting. She was nicknamed Cortez's Tongue. Yeah. That's how integral and important she was to this... The, the conquistadores or the con- conquest of Mexico's story. Uh, the Spanish specifically called her and named her Doña Marina... And the indigenous people obviously called her Malintzin. This name, Malintzin, was understood as Malinche by the Spaniards, so it was bastardized by the Spaniards, which is why history remembers her as La Malinche. She is an important figure, uh, an important myth or mythical figure for Latin Americans and Latinos and Latinx uh, because of her role as a cultural and linguistic translator for Hernan Cortez during the conquest of Mexico in the 1500s. So she was basically, practically this, uh, to a lesser extent, who is the uh, Sacagawea? Mm. Not to compare her directly to that, but she was also another prominent woman who kind of pushed and allowed, you know, these white men to kind of come in. Malinche in a more, as we'll see, in a very direct way, more way more direct and consequential yeah. way i don't know if she allowed but she had a, a role during that time in history yeah exactly okay. um so malinali was uh born between 1498 to 1505 we don't really know and she died around 1527 uh, when cortez first arrived to the americas she was given to him as a slave but an by an indigenous tribe, along with 19 other women. Um, this was actually not the first time La Malinche was given away. Her mother had given her to an indigenous tribe in order mm-hmm. to prevent La Malinche from receiving an inheritance from her father. So she was like passed around from one community to another. Uh, what was interesting about her is that she spoke, because she was in a Nahuatl-speaking community and then in a Mayan-speaking community, that's where she became an asset. She was able to speak both languages. So what would happen is she would translate for Jerónimo de Aguilar, who spoke Mayan and Spanish. And uh, so she, oh, wow. she would translate from Nahuatl to Maya, and then he would translate from Maya to Spanish to Cortés, and then it would go back. <laughs> seems, yeah. But once she learned Spanish, they kind of write, got rid of Jerónimo for that purpose, and it was just directly between the two of them. The article we were talking about, uh, Godayol, cites the work of Norma Larcón, who marks Mexico's independence in 1861 as a really important moment 
and how Malinali became La, La Malinche we know today, right? How we saw that switch. So she says that a politician uh, called Ignacio El Migromante Ramirez, reminding those celebrating that the Mexican people, quote, owed their defeat to Malincin Cortez's whore. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So stuff that has been written about La Malinche in Spanish chronicles and post-independent texts and Mexican and Chicanx literature, that's what she's, she is, right? She's Cortez's whore. She's the Mexican Eve. She's the traitor who sold herself to the conquerors and an egoist, right? So she was doing all of this for herself and not for the community. So she's, she's hence the sellout. Oh, so many, and many writers mention her. This is the interesting thing about her too, is that when you look at other texts, you see you see kind of two sides, right? You see the people today, contemporaries calling her a traitor. And then when you read the writings, many writers mention how amazing her linguistic gifts were. So, and those were writers from that time period, right? What, that lived with her, her contemporaries. So many writers say she could speak, she was able to speak up to three languages that we know of. And, you know, most days I can barely speak one, uh, let alone my second language, which is Spanish, <laughs> which I sometimes forget things and then have to switch one from one language to another and another. So La Malinche must have been like, Doña Marina must have been so good at code switching, like no other mother. So, and, and it's a credit to how smart she must have been as well, that she was, you know, known for having uh, a very good grasp of uh, different languages and especially Spanish yeah. Spanish if you look at not I think it was or Mayan or the indigenous languages at least they're not similar to Spanish no they have nothing in they common. have nothing in common so for her to pick it up pretty quickly it seems in only a few years it's impressive mm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I really respect people that are translators and interpreters because it's it's so hard to translate not just the language, but the, the meaning behind it. Right. Like it's not just words. There's also this different meanings mm -hmm. and different context. And I have no idea how they can do it. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. But I think that's what's interesting, because when we think about her as this Mexican Eve, as this traitor, this idea of tongue, right, like mother tongue language, but also tongue, her ability to speak is what makes her the villain, this talent. And I think we can talk about that now and thinking about her relationship to other historical and mythological figures. Yes. So in this section, we can talk about the comparison. So Milani, ah, I can never say her name right. I, I, I feel like you were going to say Melania. Melania, oh God. Oh, she's not even a traitor. She's just, she is kind of a traitor. Not to her culture, <laughs> but just to the country. Malinali. Malinali? Yes, that's what how Ma you say it, right? Malinali. Malinali has been compared to a few figures from history and myth. So that includes actually Eve. So many authors and historians have compared her to Eve or have called her the Mexican Eve, saying that she is the reason there was a fall from grace for the native people. So the people she created, the Mexican mestizo, was a fallen people already, cursed. So in a weird way, Malinche is a mix of Eve, the one that betrays, and the snake, 
because of the forked tongue and the portraying language. And I love that imagery that she's kind of both because she's, she's the yeah. snake and the and, and Eve at the same time. Yeah, and I feel like the the concept of original sin that came with Eve too, right? Mm. That she she ate that apple. This was the sin that made us all sinners, that made us all not perfect. It's similar with La Malinche. Her her sin was having sex with with a Spaniard and betraying her people. So it was like her body that that both created Mexican mestizos is like the myth, right? Yeah. So we were born from her, but we were also products of this like unholy alliance. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, which is why Mexicans are fucked up, <laughs> according to people like Octavio Paz. <laughs> yes, and I think was Octavio Paz. Which one was Octavio Paz again? Can you remind me? He's a Mexican writer and thinker, really, really popular. And he wrote his book is El Laberinto de la Soledad, the Labyrinth of Solitude, mm-hmm. and it's about Mexican identity um, and Mexican nationalism. And he has this concept where he talks about chingar, which is to fuck, but he uses it, it's used in very different ways. And he shows like the flexibility of the word, but that it goes back to La Malinche. She's the original chingada. She's like the original person that was fucked. Mm. Uh, And because of her, we are all children of the fucked one. Yeah, that's such a male way of looking at things, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why we we're, that's why we are trying to regain our masculinity, Mexican man. Oh, that's where the machismo plays in. Which again, you know, comparing her to Eve is such a uh, colonial thing, and so is this machismo thing. It's such a colonial kind of thing as well, or idea. I don't know if I trust it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> why are you interpreting something through the eyes of? the colonizer yeah it's fascinating but i i think that's why i like uh and one of the reasons that we picked la malinche was that the, she has this weird relationship with other figures that we would that consider monstrous so another figure for example is la, la llorona like a lot of people think of la malinche and la llorona as being co- uh, connected mm-hmm. and how how and, is she connected that's so cool yeah, it is. It is really cool. Like, I mean, we've talked about La Llorona in the first episode and La Llorona is the weeping woman and she's supposed to her her legend is that as a reminder for folks who might not have listened to episode one, uh, she lures children into the river or into a body of water of some sort and to kill them mm-hmm. because to replace like the the children that she lost. Exactly. Yeah, you know, going into La Llorona, her first so her first child with Cortez Martin was born circa fifteen twenty two or fifteen twenty three. He was baptized and raised as a Spaniard. Perhaps here is where La Malinche kind of shifted from this, you know, being this historical figure to a myth. La Malinche became the symbol of conquest and colonization. Scholars believe that Cortez threatened to leave Malinali and go back to Spain taking Martin with him. Malinche did not want this to happen, of course, like any mother would. Uh, and in order to keep her son from being taken away, decided to kill him. According to the myth, as a result, she now roams Mexico crying for her son. The myth also varies here. So there are some versions that claim that Martin was sold into slavery. 
although other sources have him recognized as a noble. Yeah, and, and then this is the connection to La Llorona, right? Uh, La Malinche was so scared that her son would be taken away that she decides to kill him instead of letting him go. And what's interesting is that this version of it is why people believe that they've seen the ghost of La Llorona slash La Malinche on República de Cuba Street in Mexico City. And there's a movie based off of that, loosely based off of that, Ooh, called um, Kilometro 31. I did not know that. Yeah. Is that where... That might be our next review. Why is it... Why have people seen her there in that ghost, in that, that ghost house? Uh, I think that's where around where La Malinche lived. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also see the ghost of La Malinche in the book um, or the short novel, The Legend of La Llorona by Rodolfo Anaya, Chicano author. So there La Malinche has to kill her two sons to save them from cultural assimilation. Again, the idea is Cortes threatens to take the two boys with him to Spain uh, where they can, will no longer be indigenous, right? They'll be, they'll be Spanish. Mm-hmm. So she must choose between losing her sons physically and spiritually or killing them to save them. Uh, from being assimilated. Uh, Anaya Smith of La Malinche Malinche uses (laughs) elements of the myth of La Llorona to show how important it is to maintain cultural traditions, right? So, and it's also connected to like uh, Toni Morrison's Beloved, the similar idea of it's better to to die than slavery. Yes. And do we actually have any written documents about what happened to her sons? I don't know too much of the actual history. I think he was n- none of she didn't kill her son for sure. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, I don't think she ever killed any of her children. No. Okay. This is, yeah, this is all omen. Okay, so this is just the interpretation, a mythical interpretation. I want to go to that house, Republica de Cuba, on Republica de Cuba Street in Mexico City. Yeah, let's do let's it. Let's do it. Let's do, uh, I will, I don't believe in ghosts, so I will probably see nothing, but <laughs> I like it for the history. What if you do see something? If I do see something, then I'll rethink my whole worldview but i highly doubt i'm going to see anything because i'm a huge huge skeptic but that doesn't mean that if you give me proof i will dismiss it outright i will find every other answer scientifically to disprove it but if nothing kind of works then you only have the truth right you have no choice you have no choice yeah so I like process of elimination, personally. I'm just like, that's not the answer, that's not the answer, that's not the answer, that could be the answer, blah, blah, blah. Uh, So the other mythical figure that she's compared to a lot is another mythical person, essentially, uh, the Virgin Mary. So I know people are probably be mad at me for saying I know, that that's way. what I was thinking. But I mean, <laughs> she she is. These aren't, whatever. They're not, Go yeah, on. they're not real <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, so the Virgin Mary. So she is also the foil for the Virgin Mary. So the Virgin Mary, uh, you know, represents the good. She is the savior of her children, while La Malinche was the one who condemned him. She's kind of her anti... She's the antithesis, I guess you could say, of La Malinche. So she's not really compared to her as much as she's just 
her opposite, her yin and her yin to her, her yang or whatever, right? Yeah. So it's and what's interesting is that all. No, go ahead. I, I was just. Uh, what's interesting is of about all of these is that they are all they're all mothers, right? And the relationship between the four of them and between the three of them and the Malinche is that they're all different kinds of mothers or similar mothers. And it's this idea that motherhood, right, the, the good mother would be the Virgin Mary, the bad mother would be La Malinche. So it's really interesting how it's all about motherhood and, and how the nation was created based off of this image of motherhood. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting, too, because modern, yeah, you're right. It's it's all this. She's really just a very big symbol or her mythology is really strictly tied in her being a woman and her mm-hmm. being a mother. Yeah. But again, the whole idea of the Virgin Mary being the foil, I think is still, quite frankly, I think it's kind of dumb. Only because... It's <laughs> 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 very stupid. Okay, it's it's stupid. I think it's stupid. Only so, But hear me out. Only because I really think that, again, it's another interpretation using a colonized colonizing or colonizer perspective, right? The Virgin Mary is not indigenous. It's not indigenous, like, belief. Uh, Mm. She might have... Like, La Virgen de Guadalupe is a different person. Like, there's a difference between La Virgen and the Virgin, right? No, they're the same. Oh, are they? They're the same bitch? Really? (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't call her a bitch. (laughs) It's the same lady? Are you kidding me? She is the same. No. Yeah, no, so every... Every bir- every virgin is the same. It's just different aesthetics, almost different miracles, things like that. So la- the Virgen de Guadalupe is the one that appeared to Juan Diego, and that's why she's so important to Mexico. She appeared to this in- indigenous guy, um, but she also I think we talked about this. I can't remember what episode. But she also is inspired in some ways by Tonantzin, who was an indigenous goddess. So it. It's really fluid how they they um, create these women myths. Okay, gotcha. All right, fine. Fine. <laughs> I thought it was a little bit more colonized, but I still think it's 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 colonized, but at the same time, yeah, I I I see. Okay, I get it. Whatever, fine. Fine. I still don't like it. I think it's confused and confusing. <laughs> it is. It's very confusing because it's all kind of just like mixed up like in a big bowl of cookies or whatever, right? Okay, so let's get into the next section, which explores the truth. So what is, just like that Oprah gif, what is the truth? Is, it's <laughs> <laughs> what I always think about when someone's like, the truth. Let's get into the truth. Uh is La Malinche a traitor to her people or was she just a woman who was making the best and thriving out of her circumstances? Because uh, remember, she was was she made into a scapegoat because she was sold into slavery. Like this is one of the things that I've heard people talk about a lot. She was sold into slavery by her own people. Which mm-hmm. is interesting. It confuses the whole matter, right? So let's get into it. So the truth. So let it, so tell me what you think, uh, or what what do you know, Orkidia? So, uh, and I think this is hard because the, the word truth makes it seem like there's one truth. But again, that's why at the beginning we were we said 
none of this is real. All of these come from so many different voices. <laughs> it's hard to know what a truth is, but this is what we we know and where we get it from. Uh, so many images found in the Florentine Codex, among other documents of the conquest, place La Malinche in a position of power as the mediator between Cortes and the Aztecs, right? So she she was, there was this visual representation of her and, and her actions and, and how uh, she shaped that relationship. And can you tell people, and also me, what is the Florentine Codex? Yeah, so it's, they're like manuscripts of indigenous tradition. Yeah. Okay, so were they written by indigenous people or because, or like what, like I'm picturing a book, like, because that's kind of what a, I would picture as a codex, but is it a book yeah. or what is it? It's a book. So it was mostly like a, a, a mix of like the friars and the priest and indigenous people uh, trying to document Th- those beliefs oh gotcha okay well speaking of priests mm-hmm. in and i found this very 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 interesting in one example about who la malinche was uh, a franciscan friar who wrote relacion de las cosas de la yucatan noted that doña maria marina was pulled aside by hernan cortez and promised her freedom if she helped him which i think is interesting that is a pretty good incentive for someone. In Cortez's own writings, in the form of letters to the king of Spain, he called her his interpreter and praised her. I found this part of the article really particularly fascinating. Uh, and this is the article that we mentioned at the beginning. This article was very, very good. So these letters, specifically his second and fifth, coincide with two significant events that occurred in the conquest. The massacre of Cholula, and the murder of Guatemoc. Uh, did I say that right? Gua... Mm-hmm. Guatemoc. Guatemoc. Yeah, Guatemoc. So Cholula was an important Aztec city where Doña Marina discovered that the nobility of the city were going to ambush the Spanish. So she had been sent there to talk to them, do negotiations, and they were supposed to be allies, the Cholula tribe mm-hmm. or the, the Cholula people uh, in the city. Doña Marina, of course warns Cortez, and Cortez proceeded to gather the nobles in the city uh, square and accuse them of treachery. He then proceeded to slaughter them. Along with other indigenous allies, Cortez and his men killed a total of a thousand people that day. These, so this event uh, labels both Cortez as a ruthless killer, which obviously he was, of course, mm-hmm. but also you know, Doña Maria as a complicit accomplice. So the Cuauhtémoc, what happened with with Cuauhtémoc, he was the leader of the Aztec Empire after Montezuma was murdered, of course, by one of Cortez's men, uh, who was then later hanged. So he was hanged by Cortez after they took over Tenochtitlan again, I believe, in 1521. So this was considered his most, Cortez's most, brutal and inhumane act. Doña Maria also helped the night before Cuauhtémoc was hanged along with another priest. Doña Maria helped him, uh, helped give him his last rites, which obviously mm-hmm. to someone who was Aztec was meaningless, right? Because they're not, they're not Christian. <laughs> they're not Christian. It was yeah. kind of pretty useless. 
and it was more of a show, just like in the Incan Empire and the taking over the Incan Empire, the whole Christianity thing and showing indigenous Christian symbols was just a way to justify and say, look, I gave them the symbols and they didn't take it. Or I gave them the symbols and this was my way of showing them respect or whatever. It was almost like an excuse to like a a way to justify uh, their murder of these people. And so to me, she sounds like she was very complicit in this um, and in fact was key in Cortez's conquering of the Aztecs. My question is, could he have done it without her? I think that's a really hard question. And that's definitely where the myth comes from, right? Uh, But one of the other parts of how we have Malinche as myth is that she supposedly spurned marrying an Amerindian in favor of the foreign. Uh, And again, this is where the idea of Malinchismo comes comes up. But for me, there's also this question of agency. How much could a Native woman during that period of so many shifts really negotiate? And how much control did she actually have? And that's not right. This is where it becomes so confusing. She was powerful. And she obviously had a role, but her idea of warfare and like indigenous idea of warfare was very different from what the Spanish were doing, Mm. right? So they were engaging in very different types of warfare. And she didn't think that certain things would happen that then ended up happening. And but that's that's an assumption, right? Yeah, that's an assumption of like, but I think you're right. I know I'm just saying that to clarify that that's not something that you know, we know for sure, but it's an assumption based Mm -hmm. on the evidence that we have that, you know, yes, how much agency does this woman have who has been sold into slavery since she was a child? Yeah. Well, and I think that that's, and in accounts of the conquest by indigenous communities, that's been the case, right? They were like, we were playing by the rules we knew, and then things were very different. Right. So pe- yeah. the, the indigenous communities that were helping the Spanish conquer the Aztecs or, you know, fight against the Aztecs saw this as a way to gain leverage over the Aztecs. They didn't think they would all be destroyed, obviously. Yeah. yeah. And and again, there's there's no truth, uh, which isn't very satisfying. Like, I know it'd be so nice to be like, this is exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, even though there are stories about her and her role as translator is very well documented, this documentation was done by people who had their own narrative. Uh, and we don't really know a lot about her life before or after Cortes, right? So we have no motivation or context for her actions, which is what you were you were getting at, too. Like, we have no idea what she knew or, or where she was coming from. We, what we do know is she was a woman in a very hard situation trying to survive. Yes. And if you were in that situation, would you do the same thing? You know, the question yeah. is like looking, you can look back on history and say, oh, no, I totally wouldn't have helped the Spanish. Like, fuck them. But you're looking at it from a perspective where you know what happens next. Yeah. At that time period, a lot of indigenous people were kind of helping the Spanish. Different indigenous, and they, the Spanish used and leveraged that infighting between these groups to further their own uh, their own plans and it yeah. ultimately destroy everyone. I feel like there's a yeah. lesson there and- that we should all learn and take 
<laughs> for the future, huh? Maybe we shouldn't be fighting each other. Maybe the true criminal is the Spanish. And I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> the, the true criminal is the person in power. Exactly. Or who's, who's really manipulate? Who's the manipulator here? And who has the most to gain? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I do, I mean, the conquest would have happened without La Malinche. She is not to blame for it. <laughs> no. I, and I, and that's the thing. I think it made it easier but I think, I don't think she, she did it single-handedly, obviously. And I don't think everything should be thrown upon her shoulders. Yeah. So I think that's about it that we, uh, on the information that we have about Malinche. Unless you have any last words to say about her, Orquidia? No, I mean, I feel like we've, we've given a good overview of the myth of La Malinche. Yeah, we don't want to be here 20 hours to tell you exactly everything that went down. I do know that the last thing that we heard about La Malinche in written records was that she got married to a Spaniard and that was it. That wasn't Hernan Cortez. Mm -hmm. She supposedly yeah. was given up to somebody else and that's where her story ends. Yeah. And that's I can't remember the guy's name, but yeah, yeah. it was some it's just some white dude, who knows. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get to the conclusion now. So thanks everyone for listening to our show. And also we wanted to do something special, right, uh, Orquidia? Yeah, so before we end the show, we wanted to give the results for our online poll. I really like doing it. We have to find a way to do yes. more. So what we did is we asked which chupacabra did y'all grow up with? The one that looks like an ant or the winged one? And we posted some pictures on Facebook. And it turned out 73% of the folks voted for the ant-like chupacabra as the one that, ha as the one that haunted the, their dreams. <laughs> while only 27% had an eye on the sky with the flying chupacabras. I thought this was really funny. <laughs> When, I wrote when you this. wrote this, I mean, I think it's funny. As I'm reading it, it does not sound as funny. <laughs> An eye on the sky. Oh, there goes the chupacabra again. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, and then, so hopefully we'll, we'll do other polls. But for our next episode, we will be talking about Linea A of the Buenos Aires Subterráneo. What? At yeah, so we're going to switch into haunted places. Yay! Yes, so I guess for like October, for the month of October, we're actually going to do something special. We're going to actually concentrate on very specific haunted places in Latin America, which, again, not a lot of people talk about, not a lot of podcasts talk about, and I'm so fucking tired of hearing another goddamn podcast about Roanoke and then white people that went missing they just went and, and screwed the natives. Like, that's all they did. So I'm tired of listening to that fucking story. Area 51, <laughs> tired of that shit. Y'all can have your stupid fucking aliens. Uh, I want to know about some aliens down south. I want to uh, know about, like, ghostesses down in Latin America. That's what I want to know. And then, so if you guys want to know... what. Ghostesses. Ghostesses, yeah, ghostesses, okay? I'm old school like that. <laughs> Such a like I love that. I feel like that should be the name of our podcast. Ghostesses. Ghostesses. <laughs> Only for the month of October. Ghostesses. Okay. Uh 
And so if you like that kind of stuff and want to know new things that aren't the same goddamn recycled stories over and over again, please come on this journey um, and listen to our next episode. So again, thank you again for so, so much for listening to this one. Uh, If you want to continue supporting us, please consider leaving a review. Just let us know what you think. And if you have any monsters, creatures, or legends that you want us to cover, uh, let us know. Subscribe. You can also follow us on social media at Monsters Podcast, or you can email us at monsterspodcast at gmail.com. But yeah, that's basically all we've got today. Sounds good. All right. See you later. Can't wait for the next one. See you for the next Bye. one. Bye.